You're listening to the God-Centered Mom Podcast with me, Heather McFadden. As the mom to four young boys, I know motherhood's hard, but sometimes I think I make it even harder than it needs to be. I'll worry about my needs being met or I'll spend so much energy trying to make my boys happy that I forget that if I would take my eyes off me and my eyes off my kids and keep my eyes on God, that those desires would grow strangely dim and their contentment would go up as I'm led by his spirit. I also forget that I'm surrounded by God. He is going before me in places that I'm fearful of. He is walking with me on the hard days and he's coming behind me, redeeming any mistake I made. So each week I'll interview a new guest and we'll discuss what it means to be a God-centered mom. Thanks for listening. You're listening to episode 32 of the God-Centered Mom podcast. And today I'm talking with Emily Waringa. She is an author and a mother, and she's recently uh, released her new memoir, Atlas Girl. I thought it would be great to have her on here for you to hear her voice sharing her story a story that includes a lot of brokenness and she vulnerably talks about um, how it started in childhood uh, as a pastor's kid and then uh, her journey around the world and through marriage and how she finally found healing through um, in a place that she was least expecting back at home. And um, I know that maybe not all the details match up with your details, but I think we can all find God to be a redeemer and her story. And um, I hope it's an encouragement to wherever you are. I also ask Emily some of her thoughts on how to stay God-centered uh, in the midst of having young children. And she she is a godly woman, one who I respect greatly. And so uh, she gives a couple tips on what she does. And she also mentions at the end, and I want to highlight it a little more, her non-for-profit, The Lulu Tree, which all the proceeds of her memoir go towards The Lulu Tree. It is a place where she is helping women in Uganda raise their babies so that they don't have to put them up for adoption. Uh, you can check it out in the show notes at godcentermom.com or go to thelulutree.com. I'm thankful for Emily sharing her story with us today, so let's get right to it. Hey, Emily, welcome to the show. Hi, Heather. Thanks for having me. And I'm so thankful that we can chat through the internet and on your phone from America to Canada. Mm. Oh, Canada. Oh, Canada. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm also thankful to share you with the God Center Mom listeners. You and I crossed paths years ago. I'm trying to remember how many years. Um, mm. We have a mutual friend, Jason Chatro. Yes, yes. And I think we met at a loom last year, didn't we? We did, but you... I got contacted by my friend Jason. His wife was like my high school friend and actually elementary friend, high school friend, college okay. roommate. And he was helping you with your book, Chasing Silhouette. Yeah. And okay. he was like, can she guest post on your blog? And I was like, yeah, yeah. I would love That's, that. Yeah. I would love that. But we didn't officially meet until I think yeah. Loom last year. Yeah. That's right. But I cool. appreciated your voice and your writing and – um all that you are sharing about your story. And so I'm thankful mm. that everyone here gets to hear it. Um, mm. But you you have written several books. Yes. And, yes, I have. Yeah. And um, I'm, you told me that I'm supposed to help you slow down, but... <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> how, yeah. many, how many books are you up to now? 
Um, with Atlas Girl, it's number five, and then I actually have a sequel to Atlas Girl coming out next summer. So, are you serious? <laughs> but then I'm slowing down. Okay. Um, I figure there's only so much you can say, right? So <laughs> I should know when to quit. I don't know. When I've said enough. I think Josh McDowell has like a, over a hundred and some books. So I think if it's your giftedness, you just keep going in your own time. So you just mentioned Atlas Girl as your fifth book and a sequel. Um, and before we get into that, why don't you introduce everyone to your family? Okay. I would love to. Okay. Yeah. I'm a mom and a wife, not in that order, wife and then mom. And my <laughs> husband is a wonderful um, math teacher, farm boy that I met um, about 15 years ago. We're coming up on our 11th anniversary. And uh, he's just been Jesus to me in so many ways. And we have two miracle boys. I wasn't supposed to be able to have kids, so we're just so grateful for our little boys and their ages three and four and a half. So they're close in age. Yeah, they are, which is great for friendship-wise. Oh, yeah, when you have two boys. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Brothers, like, to the core. Yeah, that's awesome. I did not realize (laughs) they were so young. Yeah, they are. (laughs) Great. And um, we mentioned you live in Canada, and Mm -hmm. um, so this new book, Atlas Girl, is a memoir. You've yeah. written some fiction, but this one is yeah. nonfiction. Right. Um, and it tells your personal story. And yeah. so would you kind of give us a glimpse of like, uh, you know, where does it begin and, and what parts it shares in, in the story? Sure. Yeah. Well, I'm a pretty messed up person. <laughs> I'm pretty broken. And I like to tell people about it <laughs> because only because I long for um, all of us to be able to be honest, you know, with each other. I just ache for that. Um, so it's a very honest story about my brokenness. It begins when I was very young, um, as a pastor's kid and just feeling like I didn't have any voice or control over my life as a young kid, just feeling the pressure and expectation of the pastor's, uh, family and, um, just going through a series of events led me to, um, start starving myself at nine nine years old, and um, I didn't stop until I was 13 and dying, and that's when nurses kind of said, wow, you should be dead, Mm -hmm. 60 pounds, you know, and and I realized then that was my first glimpse of a Heavenly Father, Mm -hmm. you know, one that had time for me, and you know, knew my favorite color and what I wanted to be when I grew up and took the time to get to know me. And so it was very important, um, uh, just that realization, his love for me was not a human kind of love. It was an extraordinary kind of love. And it, it prompted me to pick up my fork and begin to eat again, but I never really dealt with the little girl issues, uh, crying out to be seen and heard issues. And So they all came to the surface again when I was engaged at 22 and I was on a mission trip in the Middle East. I was there for six months, and at the end of the six months, um, I was eating a sandwich, and someone said, you've put on weight since you got here. Mm. And I immediately dropped the sandwich I was eating and fell hard back into anorexia for the next three years. Mm. So I went home, and my husband married a, a girl he no longer knew, and a girl who no longer wanted to get pregnant because, you know, I wanted to have control over my life. And 
Um, I started drinking 12 cups of coffee a day, only ate a bit of supper, became addicted to sleeping pills and wine, and it was just a really messy three years. And meanwhile, we were involved in ministry, so we just were living double lives. And, yeah, at the end of that three years, we were driving together, and I was screaming at my husband, and I was at the wheel, and I tried to drive into oncoming traffic, because I was just done, and he, my husband took the wheel and pulled us over to the side of the road and said, um, Emily, I love you, but I cannot sit here and watch you die. Mm-hmm. He said, you need to choose between me and food, because if you choose food, I'm out. Mm-hmm. And it might sound harsh, but it's exactly what I needed in that moment. I needed that choice, um, and it took me a few minutes, but I did choose him. And we dropped everything. We left our jobs, moved to Korea, South Korea, and began teaching English and just started over. And, yeah, just started to learn to love again and to eat again and to deal with those little girl issues that I'd been running from for so many years. So so let's go back to the beginning of your story. Yes. When you said you were a little girl and you said your dad was a pastor. Mm -hmm. And what kind of a church... Was he pastoring? Um, at the time, it was the United Church, but um, now that's changed because the United Church has changed. Mm-hmm. So now he's a pastor of an evangelical missionary church. Yeah. And at the time when you were nine, how aware were your parents of your struggle? Um, they were very much in denial. Um, my mom was a nutritionist and just, you know, they had done everything by the book. And but kudos to them. They did do their best. You know, they they raised us with Dr. James Dobson. We, they homeschooled us. We weren't allowed to look at magazines or, you know, like be tempted in any way. But unfortunately, you know, the devil is everywhere. So yeah. he he still spoke these negative thoughts to me. And even though I didn't know anything about eating disorders, um, I just realized the choice was mine to eat or not eat, and that was the beginning of the end. So how did you have any siblings? Yes, I have three siblings, all younger. All younger. So you're the oldest daughter. Yeah. And so all so there's of the, a lot of pressure. A lot of yeah. pressure to behave and, and yeah. perform, and, and then being a daughter. Like, I have yeah. an oldest son, and there is a lot of pressure put on him. Like, I just need him to be in control, right. and then I have three under him. Right. Um, so that the rest are so much to deal with that I really right. am constantly, you know, if he brings something up to me, I'm having to kind of push him aside to deal with like major, right. major trauma going on with a, another sibling. So yeah. I, I can understand, I can see this and, um, and were you like, can you go back to that mindset of the nine-year-old and, and think through mm. what you were doing? Like, did you have yeah. to do that in writing the book? Like what, yeah, for what sure. you thought you were accomplishing and yeah well I mean really you don't think you're doing anything harmful you're just trying to have a voice right Mm. and um you know one of the lines in my book uh, something says like um my dad didn't know what my favorite color was but he sure knew I didn't want my meatloaf you know and so it's just a way of like look, I'm a person and (laughs) I don't want to eat this. And it's just like a surge of um, control. And, yeah, it becomes addictive. And, uh, and you know, it was influenced by my size. I was a big bone girl and wanted to be attractive and 
well, I assumed attractive meant thin, and um, I thought then maybe people would pay attention to me, you know, because so... Yeah. And do you have any yeah. sisters of those younger siblings? I do. Yes, two sisters. Thankfully, they did not. They both struggled with eating in their own way, but um, they saw the extreme damage it did to me, and thankfully that turned them off. So. And have you all, like, since the book, I'm sure you got, it's tricky to write memoirs. It's yes. tricky to write memoirs, and especially when it involves family uh, yes. that are still living. And so have you all had conversations Mm-hmm. even as of recently because of the book coming out? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like, especially, like, especially close to the launch, but like through this whole process, they've been my main cheerleaders, you know, they've been editing it, crossing off parts that they thought weren't honoring to the family or, mm-hmm. you know, so I really was careful to try and give them a voice. And even when the book was coming out, I invited them to guest post on my blog about it. And my mm-hmm. brother, the beautiful, my brother wrote a very beautiful understanding post. My dad asked to be on my book launch team. You know, it's just an incredible display of humility and reconciliation. And I think that's, you know, it can be dangerous to write a memoir if you're trying to get back at people. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to come into it with the right heart. And if you're not reconciled with the people in real life, um, well, you just have to tread very cautiously <laughs> because yeah. it can do more damage than yeah. good. Well, and, and someone might think, oh, this is a message, you know, parents take note, don't do what her parents did, but that's not really your message. No, not at all. Um, I- my parents did the right things um, in as far as going by the book, but... And that's not my, like, I'm I'm not out to blame my parents at all. In fact, I'm so grateful to them because I would not be the person I am today if I didn't go through what I went through. So mm. we can't be afraid to let, you know, to mess up or to let our kids go through hard times. But mm. I do make note, and my parents, you know, have apologized for this, that, um, don't put ministry before family, mm. you know, because your kids will notice. You know, mm. they know when they're second tier. They know when, you know, someone someone is taking precedence. And mm. it will kind of just lodge itself in their hearts. And, you know, um, just do, yeah, that's that's my biggest thing. Like, you'll still make mistakes, but just try try to apologize. You know, say sorry when you mess up. And... And um, just try to spend a lot of quality time with them because for kids, that's what matters to them most. Yeah. And your message, you know, so then you continue on and your parents and then the resurgence of yeah, yeah. Um, through at the mission trip and yeah. um, and how it, it how it made its way into your marriage. And I mean, yeah. marriage, it's so it's so intimate with the physical yeah. So all of those feelings come back and the loss of control, you're you're bound, you know, you're you're committed to another person. So your yeah. your opinion is is uh is a team opinion. Yeah. So um you know, there's probably another message there too. What mm. what were you hoping to communicate in sharing that part of your story? As far as with my with, husband? with your husband and that that portion, um, like your lesson that you learn and that you want someone reading to kind of get. Yeah. Well, um, you know, 
my husband is one like the best man that I know, and mm-hmm. you know I'm not just saying that he's li- like he's an incredible person, and I still found it difficult to trust him. I still found it difficult to surrender my body to him, you know. And marriage is all about surrender, right? And like you can't have intimacy without it. And I'm still learning, honestly, because, and I think it's related to uh, spiritual surrender too, like mm-hmm. just. Trusting God with all of you and trusting that he gave you this man, you know, so you can trust him. And it's just, yeah, that need for control. And I think a lot of that comes from being afraid of being hurt. You know, you hear a lot of terrible stories. Maybe, you know, people who are listening, you've gone through a really horrible letdown. Someone has really broken your heart and you don't want to let that happen again. So you're kind of closing your heart off. Um and so I get it. I totally get it. I think, though, then we keep ourselves from experiencing any joy or happiness or love, which will ultimately heal us and allow us to use our broken stories to help other people. When it is interesting that it he stood by you all those three years and he showed uh-huh. his his love, his unconditional love, but it took him setting a boundary. Yes, it took him right. ha- showing some tough love, which is what God does too. You know, mm-hmm. there's there. I mean, it, it's a it's a it's a sorrowful yeah. wrath. It's not a wrath yeah. that's vengeful and angry. And yeah. he didn't yeah. come at you angry. He was no. He was grieving. He was grieving the loss of of his wife that he loved, but he yeah. loved you so much he had to set a boundary. And I think that's a good message. Oh, for sure. When we deal with people that are broken in our lives, you know? Yeah. And you need to know when. Like, you need Mm -hmm. to be really sensitive to, um, and I think the Holy Spirit, I know the Holy Spirit will guide you in that. And when you feel prompted to say, okay, listen, you're scaring me. I I see that you're dying and I cannot support this. And like, (laughs) you know, it sounds ridiculous, but like, of course you can't support it, right? Like they're dying, they're killing themselves. And sometimes they just need you to be vulnerable like that. And, um, but you can't do it too soon. You can't do it too late. So just really rely on the Holy Spirit for that. And, um, yeah, what you were saying about God and his sorrowful wrath, it reminds me of the Israelites and, you know, how he allowed them to be taken captive for a while, right, by the Babylonians. But he never left them. And the whole time he said, I'm preparing a beautiful place for you, but you need to go through this. (laughs) Well, And and the verse that is so often quoted for, I know that the plans I have Mm -hmm. for you and everyone's like, oh, that's such a great verse. What was actually (laughs) given to people in captivity. Exactly. And they had to wait 40 years for it to to come and see the plan. So I think that he, he, he has good things. And like you said, you're seeing the good and your, your two sons now, but in the car, when you're heading into Mm -hmm. traffic, I mean, yeah, that didn't feel so great. And having your husband (laughs) set that boundary didn't feel so great, but, um, yeah, yeah. I I think you and I were talking about finding God in the midst of all this. Mm -hmm. Like how did, you know, this, this struggle from childhood, this, this struggle through your marriage, this painful thing, mm-hmm. show you God? Okay, well, um, <clears throat> I started to find God when I did actually literally go home, and that happened when we were over in South Korea, and my dad asked me one night if I would watch my mom over webcam, um, 
back in Canada, he had to go to youth group. And my mom had contracted brain cancer a few years earlier. Mm. But I hadn't realized how sick she was until I saw her over webcam. And, you know, she's all drooped over and drooling. And, I like, it was incredibly, incredibly sad. And I just knew I had to go home and take care of her because, you know, here my dad was asking me to watch her across the ocean, and there was Mm -hmm. nothing I could do to help her, you know. And my husband was incredible. He said, yeah, of course you need to go. So I left three months before our contract ended, and my husband stayed in Korea and finished our contract. And I just moved home, and I moved into my parents' basement and um, became my mom's caregiver for the next three years. And we did get our own house, and... Um, but those were um, the hardest and the most beautiful years of my life. Um, just the, the hidden years um, mm-hmm. of me just doing quiet service for my mom and only God seeing it, you know, mm-hmm. and just really, like even right now I get choked up just thinking about how beautiful and um, how um, awful it was to to witness a woman so on the line between life and death and, and it being your own mom. So there was a lot of healing that happened um, during that time, just of reconciling with my dad, you know, as we weeded together in my mom's garden, you know, and um, just singing to my mom as she slept in her bed for 36 hours, you know, and, and watching her sing from the depths of her sleep, you know, these old hymns, just remembering them somehow in her coma. And, you know, at the end of that three years, um, doctors saying they couldn't find the tumor anymore. And her, <laughs> you wow. know, it was incredible, incredible experience. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just felt resurrected by that. So she did She did not pass away at the end of those three years? No, no, wow. she did not. No, I know. She, okay, that's what I was is, expecting. Yeah. <laughs> you to say. Wow. Well, she was literally dying for a lot, and she battled brain cancer for eight years. Wow. It was a miracle. Now, I, I do say, like, it's been four years, and they, they are noticing more activity in her brain again. And it's, so I'm, I'm not saying, you know, she's been healed forever, but it was an incredible encouragement to all of us. Yeah. Wow. wow. That is such an awesome bookend to us yeah. to a story yeah of of pain of of you wanting to be valued yeah and getting to see how valuable you were yes to your family and that's yeah. incredible that's incredible yeah. and so and I'm, and like the hidden years like you talk about I feel like you know some of the moms listening are in those hidden years yeah. of the 0 to 3 year old time before they're engaging with other moms at preschool or kindergarten and they're just day in, day out, changing diapers, washing kids, feeding, cleaning up dishes. And, you know, it's not caring for a mom who's dying of brain cancer, but it's, it's, it's caring for someone and giving of yourself for someone. And you say it like three years, boom. Oh yeah. Yeah. Three years. That doesn't sound that bad, but that's like over a thousand days. That's a thousand days day in and day out and mundane and and yet glorious. Like you wouldn't trade a single one. Yeah, that's right. And and wouldn't you say like your youngest is, is three, you said? Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't trade us when you look back. No. Yeah. I wouldn't trade a day. It's always in the looking back, though. Yeah, it's totally in the looking <laughs> Remember back. Remember to look back. 
(laughs) because it can get very tedious. You can wonder all the time, does anyone care that I'm doing this? But I promise you, like I I just heard a speaker at a conference, and she actually talked about Jesus um, the 30 years leading up to his, 33 years leading up to his, you know, ministry. And, um, And how the Bible doesn't really talk about that span of time before. Those were the hidden years for him. And and yet, those were the years that God was preparing him for that that ministry. And if he hadn't been faithful during that time, all those little choices, all those little decisions that he made, just being a carpenter's son and whatever he was doing, um, God was with him and God was approving of him. And so when he came you know, to John the Baptist, and and John baptized him, and he emerged from the water. What did God say? God said, this is my son of whom I'm well pleased. You know, and that's what he says about all of us, because he sees all of those beautiful sacrifices we've made, you know, that no one else has seen. God just loves those things we do in secret. And he says, this is my daughter with whom I'm well pleased. I love that. I love that. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember an older mom helping me when I was, you know, first had my first little one and mm. she was talking about Hannah and Samuel. Is that right? Mm. Hannah and Samuel and how, you know, the Lord promised her a child and she did have a child and then she gave him to the temple when he was weaned. And that mm. period of time back then was probably from, he was about five, maybe I think. Yeah. And so yeah. we don't hear about those five years, yeah. but they were so instrumental, whatever she put into him, whatever words, whatever hymns, whatever, not, they didn't have hymns, but ever, whatever songs yeah. and, and faith she demonstrated to him that he was able to hear God and he was a yeah. voice for God. And Eli's yeah. sons who lived in, <laughs> were yeah. there at the temple, were not hearing God. And so yeah. it just made me realize this, those years that were your changing diapers that don't seem that important, like yeah. for Hannah, they were like instrumental to Samuel being yeah. a man who picked King David, you know, and could hear God's voice enough to know to pick King David. So it was encouraging to me, like you're saying, those, those years are, are so valuable and not to, not to look over them. So I'm, yeah, it just makes me smile to think, (laughs) to hear the first part of your story is, is hard. And, um, that God can be that creative to (laughs) bring you from South Korea to care for you and, and that you are willing I think that mm-hmm. that's a key thing that that your heart was tender and your spirit was willing mm-hmm. to right. come because yeah. I don't think that that could be the case for a lot yeah. of people, you know, to yeah. be selfless. Right. Well, I mean, I think God breaks your heart at the right time, right? Mm-hmm. For and um, He knows when you're ready. Well, and yeah. it's interesting you said that one thing. One thing you caution parents is to make sure that they put their family before their ministry. And you did that. Yeah. You, you yeah. broke your contract. You broke your ministry contract, but some people would say, Oh, the ministry, the, the teaching English, that's most important. But you right. realized, no, no, I'm going to do this in a different way. Right. And I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to go make this most important. Yeah. So, um, okay. Mm-hmm. So tell me, how are your days with your own kids? How do you find yourself centering on God in the midst mm-hmm. of two little ones and writing books and, Mm. What is your routine, well, or what do you find? Yeah, I, I mean, I have to be very, 
We have to be very strict with ourselves, I think, in order to find that time. Um, because otherwise, the day is just gone and we're still in our pajamas, you know, and just frustrated. And so I do try to be as organized as possible. I have my devotions while the kids, I put on, you know, a show while they watch it, while they eat their breakfast, and I do my devotions. And, um, and that way, you know, I just start the day with my head in the Word, and I think we just all need that, right? And I have recently um, stopped checking Facebook in the morning because, you know, or email, um, at least until a certain time, because I found that I was begrudging my kids, you know, yeah. like, and, and meanwhile, they are the most important thing in my life, and, and meanwhile, I was begrudging them, wishing that they were somewhere else so that mm-hmm. I could you know, check someone's status or whatever, yeah. you know. It, 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 it sounds silly when we say it, but we do it. We, we do, totally it. do it. And yeah. it's, it is a release, like a release, like it's an escape, right? Yeah. And, yeah. and we're reminded that we're not alone. And that's so good. And you need that connection. But just be careful with how much time you spend on, you know, connecting over the Internet. And just um, even if you have to set a timer, like from 10 to 10, 15, check your email and then, you know, shut your laptop. Or I just have to do that because otherwise it just sucks you in. Mm-hmm. And um, and then, you know, my kids have quiet time or nap time. And so during that time, again, I'm very, like, I say, Mom, this is mommy's work time. So, and I just, as, some days it goes very poorly, but um, <laughs> I try my best to get my work done then. And, um and then my husband uh, comes home around four, and I normally go for a bike ride or a run just to get um, some peace and quiet, which we all need again. So mm-hmm. just trying to take care of yourself in the midst of the of everything. It's important. Even if you have to sacrifice a, a tidy house, you know, mm-hmm. get out there, go for a walk, you know, listen to the Lord and what He wants to tell you. And these, like I said, these days, these years fly by and you'll look back and you won't remember how meticulous your house was. But mm-hmm. but like you were saying about Samuel, if you can hear the Lord's voice better because of those years, that's what matters. And um, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and uh, one more thing, oh, I have yeah. recently made a commitment to spending evenings with my husband again because he was kind of getting the shaft. So <laughs> um, yes. I'm trying to put him back into second place. So God, my husband, um, my kids, and then work. And it it is hard when you work at home to keep it like that. You often put your husband last, but I am putting him back because I realize, you know, when the kids are gone, it's just him and me. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and yeah. it's easy to to have that quiet evening and, and get to your yeah. laptop. And yeah. yeah, I remember us having that come to Jesus after our second heart. <laughs> I was yeah. like, we don't see each other anymore. We don't have time together. Exactly. And we, we started meeting on the couch once the kids were in bed. Yeah. Couch time. Yeah. And um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like that. That is a good, <laughs> that is a good word. So do you, have you ever done any sp- spiritual disciplines? Or are you like any into, you know, like throughout, I don't know, some people are able to connect with God, like, while washing dishes or, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like even Ann Voskamp with the whole gratitude and 1,000 gifts, mm-hmm. like it's a way to kind of right. see God in the midst. I mean, do you have anything that's worked for you with you and yeah. your boys? Um, well, we um, 
memorize a lot of scripture together. Mm-hmm. So the boys and I are learning about 20 different Bible verses right now together. Wow. And, you know, even though they're so young, they're so good at memorization. So, um, and I, you know, we, we try and do a devotion together every day. Um, now, summer is not so nearly... <laughs> Trust me, I'm not really doing that this summer, but occasionally I'll notice, you know, that we're all kind of getting antsy, and I'll just sit us all down, and we'll go through our Bible verses again, and it just is a nice time to cuddle with them and to speak truth over them. Um, So how did you pick, how did you pick the 20? Sorry, I'm going to get specific. Yeah, no one, I I should say it becomes mom's version of the Bible, so like, they're simplified versions of the Bible verses, but I'm trying to choose ones that will train them up to be godly men, so... Um, you know, the one in Ephesians 6 about spiritual, like, armor, you know, yeah, helping yeah. them to realize what it means to me. And then Beatitudes, you know, we're learning Beatitudes. And um, and this is good for me, too, because, you know, I, yeah. I'm learning the Scripture along with them. So, yeah. And have you heard of Seeds Family Worship? Have you heard of that band? No. Oh, no. Emily. Okay. Check <laughs> them out when we're done. Okay. Seeds okay. Family Worship. They have about okay. seven. CDs. I may be wrong on that, but it's like seeds of faith, seeds of character, seeds of hope. And every CD has about 10 songs on it, fully scripture, including the reference. So even the, you know, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's kind, think on these things like they have, I mean, all of those verses with lists, they have all of those set to music. And it is amazing. You know how the brain is wired. Like, you yeah. put music to it and it's it's memorized. Yeah. So your boys would I mean, especially you know, the five o'clock sanctifying yeah. hour. Yes. <laughs> it's good for the sanctifying hour to have the worship because it's good music. It's not like cheesy kids music. Yeah. And it's good. it's like good worship music and yet yeah. you're learning scripture and then yeah. to have the reference in the in the song, it helps yeah. you remember that too. So it's okay. I highly recommend Seeds Family Worship. But yeah, I love yeah. I love the idea of you cuddling on the couch with them going over the verses. Like mm. it's not like I think sometimes we think when we have to teach our kids scripture it's like this like mm. you know, slap the hand kind of like, no, oh, <laughs> say it again, say it again. Right. Like it's not right. this like enjoyable, life giving, yes. positive experience. And I think it can be yeah. if, if how we approach it, you know? Well, and often the boys are running around the coffee table while they chant their Bible verses. So, like, there you go. whatever whatever gets them going, right? Yes. I remember oh, we yeah. did Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and it, I did, like, a, um, yeah. a trust fall. Like, they yeah. would stand on the ottoman, and they would trust fall <laughs> yeah. into my arms, yeah. and then I'd spin them around. Like, it has to be active for boys, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Active and cuddly. I like both images. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Well, Emily, I... I just love chatting with you. I could, we Aww. could keep going. I know you're going to be at a loom, so I'll yes. get to see you there. And, um, yeah. and everyone, you know, check out Atlas girl. I have, mm-hmm. it's, I'm going to read it. I know I haven't okay. read it yet, but I'm going to, <laughs> and I'm so thankful for you to share about it with us and to just share your heart. Um, you and just one more, yes. one more thing. Yeah. Um, all, pro- all proceeds from the memoir go towards um, my nonprofit, The Lulu Tree, which um, is helping equip mothers in the slums of Uganda to be able to take care of their kids. So, yeah, wow. just so you know. That is re- okay. And I'm, you all know that I do show notes for every show. So I will put a link to Lulu okay. Tree as well. That yeah. is fabulous. I know mm-hmm. that you have your heart. Over there, so um, yeah. which is for a whole 
<laughs> a whole other podcast we can yeah. go on <laughs> about your Africa heart. So, um, yeah, yeah, I love that. I love, I love mm-hmm. that you're doing that and using money for good. So thank, thank you, you, Emily, for all you're doing and the sacrifice you've made sharing your story and writing it out for all of us to journey through together with you. And, and I hope, um, that someone listening, if you know anyone who's ever struggled with an eating disorder or who has, um, been in a place of brokenness, um, I am mm-hmm. sure that Emily's story would be hopeful for them and, and, mm. and provide that place that reconciliation is possible, that wholeness mm-hmm. is possible, that God is a God who loves you and he sees you and is a caring father yeah. who grieves when you grieve. And, um, yeah. and thank you, Emily, for directing yeah. our hearts that way today. Yeah, thank you. you for having me, Heather. All right. Go Canada. Okay. Talk to you. Go Canada. <laughs> Go Canada. Thanks, Emily. Yeah, bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the God-Centered Mom podcast. If you're looking for more resources on how to replace me with he, go to GodCenteredMom.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guest. I want you to really understand and know that God is just as present while you are washing dishes at your kitchen sink as while you are worshiping Him in a church pew. He sees your service to your family and He is pleased. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with His love and He will rejoice over you with singing. Have a great day.